realised by talking about Martin Luther right at the end yesterday, I've caused a few bit of confusion for some of you. Um, when I talked about Martin Luther, who was kicked off the Reformation in 1615, he's reading the Psalms, okay, and then the Book of Romans, and he realises the Church at the time has lost the gospel. They lost the gospel of grace, and, and by, we're saved by faith alone, Christ alone, by grace alone, okay. And um, we must understand how you live by grace. And the, one of the big things about Hebrews is the fact that you must understand you have fully been forgiven. You've fully been washed clean. So you live now boldly and confidently. You literally can come into the throne of grace. Why? Because Jesus sits at God's right hand and Jesus prays for you to the Father. He intercedes for you. And so the Christian life is one of confidence and of boldness. And so as you live the Christian life, genuinely keep fighting sin, but always there's still traces of sin there for the person who genuinely lives the Christian life. And um, there always will be till glory. You're not paralysed by that though. You keep indecision or or not serving because you say, I've still got some sin. No, no, no. Rather, the Christian life is one that you live boldly by grace and there's also some sin there, which is his phrase for sin boldly, right? You're bold, recognise always in the Christian life there's still some sin, which means off the back of yesterday I was talking about those, the writer of Hebrews was talking about those who keep deliberately sinning. He's not talking about those who are genuinely trying to live the Christian life, okay? Like a bit the other day when I was making a point about prayer, a similar point, where I said... Um, we need to think through how we, we, in our prayers, keep repenting, right? I think that's okay. I do it all the time. As I talk to my Heavenly Father, do it all the time. But you must understand that it's under the concept, I am forgiven, right? I have, I've repented. I have tr- turned to God and trusted. That's already, it's happened. He, he, he doesn't, if I didn't repent in that prayer or in this week or this, whatever, do you think it changes my relationship with God one bit? No. That's what the book of that no, right? I, 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 I am forgiven through Christ Jesus, and that's what you've got to get, right? And if you don't get hold of that, you'll you'll well, you can drift away because of sin and suffering and all sorts of things. Do you have any other questions quickly from Hebrews before we get into this? It's okay, you don't have to. Um, but if you do have, talk to your leader or come and um, come and uh, speak to me. All right. But uh, let's get into this. I'll pray first for uh, God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, once and for all, the great high priest did come, the Lord Jesus, and he's made for us a new way, a living way that completely abolishes the old way that was essentially all just an illustration of the fact that uh, we needed something radical, a radical sacrifice Uh, a perfect sacrifice to bring us into your presence. We thank you for Jesus and we ask that we would grasp hold of just what we have in him and uh, we would hold on to him all our days until we see you face to face. Give us uh, today an ability to stay awake and to hear what you're saying to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Evelyn Harris Brand grew up in a wealthy English family. She studied the London Conservative of Art, dressed in fine silks, but we went, she went with her husband um, in, into ministry in, onto the mission field in Kolio Malay range of India. 
but after 10 years, her husband died at 44. She returned home a broken woman with grief and pain. After one year's recuperation, after, um, against all advice, she actually returned to India. And with her soul restored, poured her life into um, the hill people, nursing the sick, teaching farming, lecturing about guinea worms, rearing orphans, clearing jungle land, pulling teeth, establishing school, and preaching the gospel as she went around. She lived in a portable tent that could be taken down, moved, and erected again. Okay? At 67, she, she broke a hip, and her son, Paul, himself a missionary, and would become a well-renowned surgeon with dealing with leprosy, he encouraged her to retire. She'd already had a broken arm, cracked vertebrae, and kept having um, malaria that kept coming back. Right? And he mounted as many arguments as he could to persuade her that at 67, she'd given had a good investment in ministry. Right? Her response, Paul, you know these mountains. If I leave, who will help the village people? Who will treat their wounds and pull their teeth? teach them about Jesus when someone comes to take my place then and only then will I retire in any case why preserve this old body if it's not going to be used where God needs me that was a final answer and she worked on at age 95 she died following her instructions the villagers buried her in a simple cotton sheet so the body would return to the soil and nourish new life her spirit lives on in a church, a clinic, several schools, and in the faces of thousands uh, of villages across five mountain ranges in southern India. A co-worker remarked that Granny Brand was more alive than any person he had ever met. By giving away life, she found it. How do you live like that? How do you keep going over the long run making tough choices so that you're fruitful and effective and you have a God-honouring life. So that's praiseworthy, commendable. So after fat, how do you not go straight back into the sin you've been wrestling with? Or how do you keep telling people about Jesus? That is the context of Hebrews, as you've seen. It's written to a people to make sure they go the distance. Many of them have started well with great joy, but now they're fading. Right? They've been quick out of the blocks, but now they're growing weary. Right? And Hebrews is written to these people, to people like us, about how you go the distance and have an effective life. And the answer the book of Hebrews says is, the key is perspective. How you see life determines how you live life. I'll say it again, how you see life determines how you live life. So you've got to know what you're doing and how you do it. See, how do you see life? Well, look at chapter 12, verse 1. God calls the Christian life a long race. Look at 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Two important things you see there. Who they are? It's a race. Not a stroll, not a walk, not an amble. It's a race. What else do you notice about this running race? It's a persevering race. It's a race that's a long race. Right? You only persevere a race if it's long. You don't persevere in a sprint. Right? 
Now, uh, here's an illustration to help you from uh, Gordon McDonald uh, running in a US championships against the guy who just won, set the 100-meter uh, sprint record. The guy who just set the 100-meter sprint record said to Gordon, he said, may the best man win. I'll be waiting for you at the finish line. Right, of course, the gun went off and the sprint champion just took off and everyone else was just competing for second place. As they went around the first corner, 280, 290 metres, he was in front. Um, but this guy now is barely jogging. And so the other six races just went, ran around him. And uh, Gordon said, like a good Christian man, I waited for him at the end. But he had a very godly coach who put his arm on his shoulder and said to Gordon, I want you to never forget this moment for the rest of your life. And he said, his comment was, it makes very little difference how fast you are in the 100 metres when the race is 400 metres long. And that is a picture, a metaphor for the Christian life. Okay? It doesn't matter how quick you are in the 100 when it's a 400 race. It doesn't matter how fast you are over 10 k's when you've got a marathon to run. Okay? Many Christians go really well at the beginning they get off the blocks like lightning they go well for three years or ten years but then you don't hear about them anymore they fade away and you guys have got a long race I probably haven't got as long to run yet statistically speaking right but many of you guys may be running this race for another what 50 years 60 years and it doesn't matter how quick you get off the blocks You've got to run it, but you've got to run for a long race. Okay, so how do you run? See what it says there? Um, let us throw, verse 1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with the race with perseverance, marked out for us, right? Two things, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles. Well, I'll deal with the one that we're most familiar with, the sin one. It's helpful quickly just to know the mechanics again. We've been doing it a bit this, the last few days. As you know, you've been made new in Christ Jesus. That is, the power of sin over you has been severed. By faith, you literally have died with Christ, been buried with Christ, and been raised with him. So Romans 6, you can chase that elsewhere, the power of sin is no longer over you. But you still have in yourself two lives, okay? Two lives at war with each other. As Jesus says, you've got to lose one life if you wish to gain the other life. What's the power of sin? The power of sin is that it makes a promise, a, a promise of future pleasure. It says to the old self in you, the selfish self, self, that if you just do such and such, you'd be happy, you'd be satisfied. So if you've just got a new skateboard or a, or a boyfriend or a T-shirt, then you'd be happy, right? Or something like that. And that's how sin empowers lust or greed or covetousness, right? That's what John has been kind of covering. It promises much, but it delivers little, right? Because you guys have been around long enough to know what? It doesn't satisfy. You get the new skateboard and you're not suddenly happy, right? Um, but of course, the problem is also sin can entangle us because it looks so nice. See, I've got a snicker. All right now anyone like it all right okay the only thing is i'm going to show you what what it, see, it looks fantastic if you had this city snicker you would be satisfied right it would be delicious your life would be better the only problem is what it has in it all right 
is it has a little bad boy hook here. Can you see the hook? All right. Now this is what this is exactly what sin's like. All right. Oh man. Now, if I asked you again, it's who would love to have a big chomp on this snicker? Yeah, that's right. You guys are game. All right. Now. That's what sin, it promises future pleasure. It says, oh, if you just had that, you, you'd be happy, man. Your life would be better. The problem is, you know what will happen if you chomp on it, don't you? Where's that hook going to go? Right in your mouth. Now, will you be happy? No. But also, what's happened to you? How, how well are you at running a race? Here you go. You guys want to eat something? I'll just leave it over here. Um, Right now, the only thing, right, what what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, you can't run the race when you've got these bad boys in you. Right, you've got to throw them off. You've got to cut them. Right, you get that thing going and jagging you. You you can't. You're entangled. That's what the writer is saying. You get entangled and you're not running a race anymore. So you've got to cut it. And the nice thing about the gospel is, you actually can cut it because the power of sin that you you used to be enslaved to it. Right, that's. yeah, Romans 6 again. You're in, you were enslaved by it, right? So it, whatever it was pulled on, you were just going that way, but you're not anymore. You can cut it. That, that is the promise of the gospel. But you need to do it. You need to throw it off and cut it. But the point John has been making the last few nights has been, that's the, the old self that lies to you, promises much, and will entangle you. You just can't leave it in a vacuum, like ripping off the old paint off the car and leaving just nice clean um, metal. You have to put on the new self. You know, you have to um, you have to replace it with uh, with the new self, and the new self looks weak and empty and frail, right? Because it's created an image of Jesus, and it's not concerned for itself but for the other, right? Now it doesn't look impressive, but in actual fact, it delivers much. As Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than receive. Or in John twelve, he says, "If the seed dies, it will bear much fruit," and that's the paradox. Got it? If you lose your life, you'll actually gain your life. That's what Granny Brand discovered, right? She gives away life. In actual fact, she finds life. Or, as you might have heard, God, if you like, is most glorified in, in me, in us, when the apparently weak work of the cross is most powerful in me, right? Or as 2 Corinthians 5 says, that is, as I die with Christ and live a new life, no longer for myself, but for him who died and was raised again. That is when God is most glorified in me. You've just got to know uh, it's a slow process, but you've got to cut off that sin because you're not running a race if you've got that thing, that sin's entangling you. That's the familiar one. The less familiar one is what? Everything else that hinders. It's the stuff that weighs you down. Now, this is a huge word because what it's saying is um, good stuff can be bad, Okay? 1 Timothy 4, 4 says, Everything God created is good and is to receive with thanksgiving. Okay? God's got all sorts of great stuff out there for us to enjoy. But good stuff, when you're running a race, can be bad. Okay? So if I'm trying to run a running race, carrying a fridge, fridges are good things, but you don't go so well when you're running running races, right? Got it? Good things can become bad things. Catch the same idea in the, the four soils in Luke 8 where Jesus talks about the word. The word lands on thistles, which are basically 
Jesus says the worries of this world, riches and pleasures, and they can actually choke out the Christian life, right? So these bad, good things can actually ultimately destroy you. But the, the question is, but you're certainly not going to be running if you've got a lot of excess weight on. So what Hebrews is saying, you've got to get rid of it. A couple of quick things, we've covered sport. Quick things for you guys is success. Quick thing, right? Now, not wrong to achieve and be driven, want to serve the community, but like anything, a, a career can become consuming. You say, I'm not there yet, I'm in high school. I know. But you want to sow the seeds now which say, um, uh, how do I think about success? How, how hard will I study? Where does that fit in? And if something was to become all-consuming or so much, how do I cut it? Because a good thing can become a bad thing, right? Or singleness. Here you go. Paul says with the same principle, it's good to marry. Do you know what? It's good to marry, but it's better to be single because of the times we're in and because of the gospel and because we're running a race. Uh, and so for some of you, while you could marry, you may choose not to marry. Or even if you do marry, uh, you need to run the race in such a way as you think about your marriages. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short, verses 1 Corinthians 7, 29. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if they were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed to them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Okay? Anything that slows you down, throw it off. It, it, good things can become bad things. How do you run the race? Well, the, uh, you need to know how, um, what it is and you need to know um, how you run it. And look at verse 1 again. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. The question for us is, what's the therefore, therefore? What we, what we find ourselves is this is, a discuss, this is an argument that's begun previously, all right? Flick back to chapter 10, verse 39. This is where the argument begins. Chapter 10, verse 39. But we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Or the word there, but those who have faith. See the word there for believe, that's really the word to have faith. And it says, and preserve their soul. Preserve their soul. So this, and then he's going to tell you how you do that. How do you have faith and preserve your soul? And then, verse 2, it says, this is what the ancients were commended for. That's what's the this. This refers back to the faith. So how do you live the Christian life? You live it by faith. Because this is what the ancients were commended for or praised for. This is the praiseworthy life. And verse 1 is a... How, how faith works, right? Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, see, faith, that's not a definition of faith because faith is trust. Faith is trust. No, it's a description of how faith works. That is, faith makes sure um, of what we hope for and it makes us see things we can't see. That is, it gives substance or makes real unseen promises. It's like a telescope. You can't see those promises way out there, but you bring up a telescope and all of a sudden, they are real. They have substance right before you. Right? Um, you see them in context. They get perspective. 
Now I've got a big long rope here. All right, big rope. Okay. Now I hope you can see this. Imagine, right? Imagine this rope that just keeps going, right? And it goes, it's really long, right? It's really, really long. We've got lots of lots of rope here. We've got a lot of rope. And it goes, um, it just goes, right? It goes on. And it goes on for kind of all around this room, out the door, out around the campsite, actually around the world, right? Numerous times. Actually, this rope is your existence, okay? It's your existence. And the white part, see the white part? Um, with the plumbing tape on the front, that's good, all right? There's the white part. That represents your time here on earth, okay? That's a bit on earth. And a um, few short years here on earth, and then you'll spend your eternity, all right, somewhere else. And it just goes on, as I just said, forever and ever and ever, millions and millions and millions, it never ends. That's where you're going to spend eternity. This is your part here on earth, right? Now, what blows me away and what blows the Bible away is that most people spend their entire time thinking about this bit, the white part. And they say, oh man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save, 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 save here. And right, right at the end here, see that? Right there. I'm going to party there, man. That's where I'm going to spend that big and I'm going to travel. I'm going to have a good time. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Right? Or... What's happening increasingly? You guys are leaving school and you're going, you know what? Right there. That's my party. Right back there. That's going to be good. And then the rest of my life, I'm going to be working real hard. Right. That's what most people do. They just see the little, little white bit and they live their life like that. What the Bible says in Hebrews is saying, you see what faith does? Faith enables you to see what's unseen, right? What's coming. And you can see this in context. This is not life. Most people just live their whole life with a white bit. They can't even see this bit that goes on forever. They just think, this is it. Whoa, I'm alive. That's crazy. It's nuts. Okay? Faith enables us to see all the red bit that keeps on going. And the critical thing the Bible says is, the white bit matters so much because how you live in the white bit determines how you go in the red bit that goes on and on forever, millions and millions of years. And so why would I try and make myself comfortable as I can in the white bit, enjoying much, myself as much as I can, um, when actually I've got all this coming? What the writer of the Hebrews is saying is actually... What happens here in the white pit? That's the bit where we endure and we suffer and we run a race because what we're concerned about doing is when we hit the end of that white pit, glory, the prize, that's how we're running. And we're running for all that bit. We're spending our whole time thinking about how we're going to make sure that counts because we're on a mission. We're going to invest our life. We're going to spend our life because we've only got one life one shot at it and then we got this to party got it that's what the bible says that's what hebrews says and that's what paul says in 1 timothy 4 2 timothy 4 7 right i run my race i beat my body i'm disciplined i push everything off 
I'm not consumed with all this stuff around me. In fact, I deliberately choose to, to not be concerned with this. But everybody else is concerned about this stuff now. Now the white parties, I don't want to know about that. I'm running a race. Across the price, because I've got all this coming. That's what's going on. Got it? And the world will think we're crazy. They're going, what are you doing? You don't care about this. You guys are nuts. You're missing out. We're having all the fun, man. You're, you're boring. We think they're crazy because we're going, you're mad. We got all this, man. You see? That's the point. You've got to get that stuff. All right? But how do you get it? How do you live it? By faith. You see things you can't see. All right? You've got two helps. Two helps in this big argument. First one is, therefore, because we've got a great cloud of witnesses. And chapter 11 is about those witnesses who testify to the faithful life that suffers but persevered and made it. Cross the line. Glory. That's what chapter 11 is about. All right? In this life, they look stupid and crazy. But in the life to come, the red bit, they rock. Okay? So, verse 11. Let's just give a couple of quick examples. We got, we got Noah, right? Well, but Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith, right? Noah builds an ark in the middle of the desert, right? An ark that's two football fields long, right? In this life, he builds it by hand, takes ages, he looks completely stupid. Everybody mocks him and laughs at him. It'd be like building a boat at the top of Erina kind of uh, height, you know, back where we live. Like, even if we got, even if, you know, um, a global warning was true, it ain't going to get wet there. But what we're told, Noah condemned the world. See, I'm not going to live for this world. I'm about the world to come. And of course, the flood came, the world was judged, and Noah was saved. He crossed into the red line, okay? He made it across the line, but he suffered in his life. Abraham, let's go to uh, Abraham. You know, in Genesis 12, God comes to him. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm be a bless- you'll be a blessing to all uh, of the world, but I'm going to give you the land of Canaan, the promised land. And he didn't build a house there, right? Look at verse, uh, verse 8. He lived in tents. By faith, Abraham, went, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance. He obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. He actually walked 1,200 k's, right? That's a long way when you don't know where you're going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is heaven. He's looking forward to heaven, the red bit. And so, although he's in the promised land, Canaan, he, he didn't even build a house. He lived in a tent, as did his sons and his sons' sons. Because what? Their home was not here. It was there that they saw by faith. All right, or take Moses, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. Rather rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. The white bit, right? He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, 
because he was looking ahead to his reward, right? At the end of the white fifth, right? By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkle of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. No, we'll get to that. But um, anyway, verse 13 tells us what's going on. All these people were still living by faith when they died, right? They didn't see, they couldn't see these promises. They lived by faith. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who saw such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they are looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he, is, and he has prepared a city for them. Okay? They got it. They made it. It's like you're standing on top of a skyscraper, right? And there's this huge chasm between it. But we've got some guys who are on the other side who've made it and they said you can do it we've done it and so and we've we've seen actually they've made it that's what they're testifying they say you could do this thing and so we too can make the leap and cross over and make and live by faith we'll look silly here sure but we can make it into the promised land into heaven they testify us as to how you can do it right now you say how'd they do it by faith they couldn't see how do we do it by faith you say it's easy for us we've got jesus right they didn't have jesus they didn't they didn't know what the christ would look they didn't no no no. same faith can you see jesus i can't see jesus no same same we do it by faith just like they did it you can't see Jesus, you see him by faith. And he's, he's the second help, right? We fix our eyes upon Jesus. See, who ran the perfect race? Ultimately, we don't look back just to the faithfulness of the Old Testament patriarchs. We look to the triumph of the Christ, whose death displayed both faithfulness and endurance. Here is the supreme example of persevering faith. He's the champion in the exercising of faith and the one who brought faith to completion. That's what... The Bible there says the author and perfecter. He is the champion. He's the one we look to, all right? Okay, I know you're tired. Here goes quickly. Imagine you rock up to school. You know what? Bummer. The long distance runs on. It's cross-country day. How are you going to run it? Problem is, you've got your normal gear, right? Your backpack, got textbooks in it. Thankfully, you've got lunch, got a drink bottle. Thankfully, you've got your joggers in the back. Guess what's not 5K? It's 40K run, national parks, right? All right, but the race starts in 15 minutes. Now, what are you going to do? You've got to run the whole race. You've got to make it to the end. You've got to persevere. How are you going to talk to the person beside you? What, what's your tactics? What are you going to do? Go, think about it.
Okay, okay, here we go. Shh. Good. Okay, give me a few tactics. What are your tactics? What did you do? What did you do? What's that? Man, so you're not even going to run the race. Okay, I didn't. You taxi. Okay, so you're opting out of the race altogether. That's a bad answer. All right. Nice. Bring your tent. Got to prepare the long race. Got a tent thing happening. But doesn't sound like a running race though, with too much tentage. Oh, you run but slowly. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and how are you going to do that? Well, you probably get yourself a map, right? You get a map. That's important because you know what's going to say you're prepared. That's good. Run like with people who are going to be running like you, who are going to push each other, who actually want to run and don't want to just go on a taxi, right? Who don't even want to run. There's a lot of people who don't want to run, they want to go on a taxi, but there's some people who want to run like you. So, what should you, you run with the runners? That's right. Okay. You talk to the person who ran it last year and won it. The champion. Nice idea. Very good. Any other ones? Take off your backpack. Yeah. Or, it's a long run, you may keep your drink bottle and you make sure you put your rush. But what's in your, what's in your backpack you may ditch. Those textbooks are gone, right? They're gone. You're right. But you might, you're right, you might ditch it. You got to, that's a tactical decision, right? Ditch it, keep it, I don't know. It's a long run, got to run it. Okay, do you see the principles? See the principles? The stuff you got to throw off. The stuff you got to throw off. But you got to run. And you see what the book of Hebrews says? It says what? You got to keep meeting together. You got to spur each other on. Don't stop meeting together, Hebrews 10, 25. Because you got to run with the runners. And you got to make sure you got a map, man. You got, you got, to, you got, to, you got to stay in the word. You've got a map that's tell you how to run the race. Don't ditch your map or your compass. You need this stuff. Okay? That's how you run a race. And you fix your eyes on the champion, the one who stands before you who says, I've done it. And you too can make it. I'm going to help you make it. That's the picture that's before us. You live in the white line, the white zone, with a view to crossing the end of it so you enter the red zone into all eternity. That's how you run the Christian life. All right? I'll finish this with a quote uh, because essentially the Christian life's about persevering. David Livingston took the, the gospel to Africa at great cost to himself, attacked by lions, but uh, um, survived uh, and took the gospel to many villages but spent pretty much most of his life there and suffered much. Here's his quote to the Cambridge students, university students, about his leaving the benefits of England. He says this, and all the sufferings he'd, he'd encountered. He says this, For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity? The consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause 
and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Run the race. Keep trusting in Jesus. Fix your eyes upon him. And I pray I'll see you all in glory by his grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, who is the champion, who's gone before us, who ran the race. We thank you that we have many witnesses who likewise live by faith, who were not absorbed in this world, who saw by faith a greater prize and cast off everything that would hinder running that race. They lived radical lives. They threw stuff off. They cut off sin. They, they got rid of stuff that would weigh them down. We pray, Father, that we would do the same thing and that we'll run along this long race in such a way that when we cross the line, you would say to us as you look in our eyes, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. And Father, those words will be for us everlasting joy as we enter into your rest, as we enter heaven with all of your people, and we enjoy you forevermore. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.